Well, today we're doing part three of this series, Valuable. And the last two weeks, we talked about valuing excellence. And we talked about excellence. And uh, last week's message was a uh, real pivotal, I think, when talking about excellence. And so if you missed that, be sure and and get online and and take a look at that. But this week, I want to talk to you about valuing unity. Valuing unity, because we should value unity. Unity in our families and in our church. So uh, before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We just thank you for what you're already doing here today. And I just thank you that we can open up our hearts to be ready to receive of your word. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, maybe, you know, when you hear the word unity, maybe you think, oh, that's kind of, you know, boring or whatever. But bear with me because I really believe that we need to value unity. And the more and more I look at unity, the more I I didn't know, and the more I know now, and 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 I, I believe that you know God may show you something here uh, this morning as well. And you know, when most people hear the word unity, they generally think of positive. You know, like it's a positive word, but really, the word unity is neutral. The word unity and and the concept of unity is real u- uh, neutral until you add goodness or you add badness to it so to speak. And we see this in the scripture because the word unity in the Greek in in, in scripture we see, it just simply means agreement, oneness. That's what it means. And in the Bible, we can see many examples of agreement or unity that weren't so good. And so we have, unity is not always a good thing. And it depends on what we're talking about. Uh, so just a few examples. The unity of Joseph's brothers when they plotted to kill him. They all were in agreement in unity together, plotting what to do with him. Uh, the unity of Israel when they convinced Aaron to build them a false god, the golden calf. And, you know, they danced around that calf. The unity of the people that were afraid to take possession of the promised land. You had 10 out of 12 that came back of the spies. They were in unison together and saying, we can't do this. You know, and of course, uh, you know, uh, Joshua and Caleb did not. But you had those 10 that were in unity and saying, hey, no, we, we can't do this. And the unity of the Jews that stoned Stephen to death because they could no longer stand to listen to his message as he was preaching. And they stoned him. Uh, we read that as well in the word. And, and so we see there's different kinds of unity. There's good unity and there's bad unity. And this morning we want to value the good Christian unity that God outlines in his word. We want to look at the type that Paul really outlines in his writings in the New Testament. For instance, Philippians 1, 27, it says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now see, this is an exhortation of Paul to this church, this body of believers in Philippi, and he is saying, you need to conduct yourselves in a way so that you can stand firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together. This is oneness that he's talking about here. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, To this body of believers, he says this. Now I exhort you, brethren, another exhortation here, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
And then we see in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we'll read the first six verses and we're going to break this down throughout the message. This is really key. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy. Again, he's exhorting them. He's saying, Walk worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so he's saying to the bodies that preserve the unity of the spirit. You need to be one. You need to have the same mind. You need to be like-minded. You need to be in agreement. Don't let divisions you know, separate you. And so unity in this kind of wording and these kind of phrases and these kind of verses that we're reading here, this kind of stuff can really help your family at home and help us in the church, in our church family. And at home, how many, you know, maybe you grew up and, you know, in the house and maybe you were one that kind of separated yourself from the rest of the family and you just did not like to do the family activities or any sort of family stuff, you know? I mean, maybe that was you, and there's just this one, you know, you go up in the room, and you're just by yourself, and you want to be there. I, I heard a, one time there was, we were doing premarital counseling, and there was uh, the, the woman there, she, uh, she said that growing up, every time they ate dinner, for the most part, there were a few exceptions, but everybody got their own plate of food and went to separate rooms, and they had their separate TVs, and this is how they ate dinner vast majority of the time, like 90% or better of the time, unless they were celebrating some birthday or some special occasion. And they would go to their own you know, area of the house or room or whatever, and they would eat, usually in front of a TV, and they had their plate of food. And this, this went on pretty much her whole life. Uh, that's how that family was. Now, see, I, don't, I would not consider that family unified. I wouldn't consider that unity. And that family had a unity issue. They had a unity problem. And one of the things that Carrie Ann and I, when we first got married, we said, you know, we're always going to eat dinner together, if at all possible. Now, it gets a little harder when some of them get a little older and they get jobs and things like that, you know, and stuff goes on. But as many of us that are present in the house, we all sit at the dinner table, the TV's off, and we have dinner. So that's something that we do together as a family. And there are other family uh, things that we do together as a family. And we want to make sure that we have unity in our family. We say, no, you can't go do all this and that. We're teaching our children that we have to do this together as a family. And in the church, there are, we open the doors every single Sunday morning. We have other activities. We have small groups. We have different things. We need to be unified in the body. But to really, I believe, to be unified is that we got to understand unity. Because if not, you're going to chase after unity just for the sake of unity. One more time. If you don't fully understand unity and what it is, you're going to chase after unity just for the sake of unity. But when you understand it and you understand what feeds unity, then you can achieve true Christian unity oneness and unity. So Christian, so I want to talk about the character and nature of unity. I want to set this up and then we'll get, hopefully I'll be able to preach just a little. The character and nature of unity. Christian unity is not 
a general spirit of friendliness. That's not what unity is. It is, number one, it is a product. It is a product. It's not a common aim or a series of aims that we all just strive to do to get to, that we all can just, okay, we're all going to be in unity and we just, that's what we're going to do and we're going to strive and get there. Unity is always a product of something. And when we read this here in Ephesians chapter 4, and we began that there, and he was talking about the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, what Paul was talking about is that he's saying this all here, these first six verses of chapter 4, is a product of chapters 1 through 3. All of those chapters, this is what happens. Let me give you an example. I have my study Bible here, and what's really good is that in the beginning of the study Bible, when you turn to one of the books, it has an outline of what the chapters are, and then it breaks down sections of scriptures of the chapters and gives a little bit more description. So what, he, what this outline says here is that the believer's redemption is from chapters 1 through chapters 3 through chapter 3, is, is all about the believer's redemption, the preeminence of Christ in redemption, his preeminence in the Father's plan, his preeminence in the believer's participation, his preeminence in the Spirit's application. The results, beginning in chapter 2, you begin to see the results of redemption in Christ, releases us from sin and death to a new life in Christ, reconciles us to others, unites us in Christ in one household. And then we get down to verse or chapter 4, and it says here on this outline, the believer's life. The believer's life. The believer's new life. It's in harmony with God's purpose for the church. So he says it's the believer's life. It's something that you live. Unity is something that you live in. And it is a product of the work of the cross. God's work in Christ. When we're talking about Christian unity, it is a product of the work on the cross that Christ did for us. We also know this by looking at verse 1 in chapter 4. It starts with the word, therefore. Has ever looked at these words and I, you know, sometimes I'm looking at scriptures and I'm like, okay, therefore. Well, what are we thereforing? <laughs> what are we thereforing for? What is it? It's all of this that I just said here in these first three chapters leads us up to here. Therefore, walk in a manner that's worthy to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace because there's one body and one Spirit. So walk in a manner that's worthy. J. Hampton Keithley III said this, Christian unity is a result of God's work in Christ. It is not something that we are to aim at just for the sake of unity. You can't just aim at it and just get it. There's something that has to be done. It is a product of something. The second character and nature of unity is unity is of the Spirit. When you look at the word Spirit here, it's capitalized. It refers to the unity provided by the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we receive Christ through that work of the cross, if we are submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we're going to begin 
to walk in a manner that's worthy, we're going to begin to come into unity with those around us. We're going to begin to come in unity in our homes, and we're going to become in unity in the church. The third character in nature of unity is unity is organic. Unity is organic. What does that mean? Unity is living and vital. It's not mechanical. Christian unity, the unity of the Spirit, is a unity which starts within, on the inside, and works outward. It's what's happened to you. You gave your life to Christ because of that work on the cross. It begins within, and then it begins to come out. It's an outward working, and it, it, it happens organically. So unity is organic. The unity of the church is organic in character. We are not a collection of parts. We are one body. We are one, one spiritual body, a new creation, a spiritual body created by Christ, uh, created by God in Christ. See, that's why we call ourselves, and Paul referred to, the body of Christ, we see this really quick. Let me say 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. So it's for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. So we're not just a collection of parts. We're one. We come into oneness. So also is Christ. Verse 13, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many, but many. And you know, it kind of, it's almost like, oh, well, how can this be? It's only by the spirit. Remember, it's by the Holy Spirit and that's why it makes it real hard because we think, well, we're different people. We are. Well, that, that brings us to number four. Unity is diversity. Unity is diversity. There is diversity in unity. Not a uniformity. See, that, there's difference. There's a difference between uniformity and diversity. We are diverse, but we're not uniform. You know how a lot of private schools, they, all, they have a uniform and they all wear the same uniform. That doesn't mean that they're unified. That just means they're, you know, unified in unity. That just means they're all uniform with their uniforms. They all got the same shirts and pants on. And the girls have the same skirts and shirts or whatever it is. That's uniformity. That's not unity. Right? So what we need is unity, and diversity is, is okay. Diversity, unity is diversity. It's where different people are coming together for a common goal, a common, what makes us common between one another is Jesus that is in us. The te- we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us common. That's what's drawn us here together on Sunday morning to come together. The parts do not look alike, they do not function alike, yet they are all important, needed, interdependent, and all work towards the same end, the purposes for which each member was designed in the function of the body as directed by the head who is Christ. Jesus said he is the head and we are his body and in accord with the creative purposes of God. Some of the parts are covered, others are within the body and are unseen, but nevertheless very important. So what kills unity? This is where we get, hopefully, where it all comes together. What kills unity? So we see that unity is important, that unity is organic, unity is diversity, that you can't just go and seek after. It's the work of Christ. 
that he did on the cross, the work of God in Christ on the cross for us. So what kills the unity? You know, we look around, we see uh, there's different churches that, that, that become fractured and split. And we've heard, you know, church splits and this and that. What kills unity? The main thing that kills unity is a bad independent spirit. This is by far one of the main reasons why many Christians stay aloof from the community of the saints. An independent spirit says this, I don't need the church I've got the Holy Spirit and he'll teach me. It's okay. I can stay home. It's all right. An independent spirit will say different things. That is one of the main things is that I don't need the church. I don't need the body. And, you, and that can happen because of a hurt or this or that or somebody said this or somebody did that. But a bad independent spirit says, I do not need others. I don't need the connection with the, I don't need them to help me. I know what to do. I've looked at the Bible. I've seen it. I've done this. So I don't need everybody else. I can do it on my own. That's what an independent spirit will say. So how did our culture become so independent? See, that's also, we can also look at this in our culture. Because in our culture and at work and our bosses and this and that, uh, there's independence, everybody. And it seems like everybody's looking out for themselves. It's prevalent in our society. Everybody's looking out for themselves, their own interest. We even have interest groups. They just look out for themselves and their own interest and they don't care about the next group. It amazes me. You can even look at it in the political realm. You can look at everywhere you turn. It seems like everybody's just selfish is what it seems like. Now, we have some really good pockets of where people are really looking out for others. We've seen that. We've seen the pictures. Hopefully, maybe you've seen, you know, the flood that took place in Louisiana. So many people displaced out of their homes. Many great organizations going down and helping other people in the community, coming together and pulling out and helping. Great stuff. Excellent. So we have some, some goodness going on. See, unity is not good until you add the goodness. And Christian unity is not good until you add the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leading and guiding. You can't just create it on your own. Church, we can try till we're blue in the face to have unity. You can try in your home. Like, oh, you know what? We're going to be unified. You better go to God. You better turn to the Lord. You better be able to turn to him and be, have that leading of the Holy Spirit that tells you the ways and shows you how to breathe unity in your home. How for unity to flourish in your home. What is it that can do? Bad philosophy. So how did our culture become so independent? Bad philosophy crept into our culture through the ideas of philosophers who were not measuring those ideas against the Bible. This is what I love and hate about philosophers. They, they, they have some good stuff. But a lot of times they just, they get off because they don't, they're not looking at the word. It's man's wisdom. God's ways are higher. Man's wisdom pales in comparison to God. You know, during the age of enlightenment, it was a cultural movement in, uh, in, in the 17th and 18th centuries. And it was, you know, in Europe and then it started coming over in the U.S. And it was a movement. It was a cultural movement, and there was a lot of good things that came out of the Age of Enlightenment, believe it or not, when you really look at it on its face. 
But there were also some very negative and bad things that came out of the Age of Enlightenment, and we are still suffering for it today. Many of the philosophers were anti-government and anti-traditional religion. Many of their ideas were good, but because they cut God out, their ideas fell short of true success. I don't know about you, I want true success. Individualism was the concept that was birthed out of the Age of Enlightenment. Individualism says this, it's the moral stance, political philosophy, ideology, or social outlook that emphasizes the moral worth of the individual. Individualists promote the exercise of one's goals and desires and so value independence and self-reliance that the individual should achieve precedence over the state or a social group. Let me break this down even further. Rene Descartes said this, I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. This idea of individualism, it's the insidious little idea that I am a rock, I am an island. This is what came out of this movement with individualism. And it affected our nation throughout the last several centuries because that idea was spread the individual worth above the group. Now, you are worth a ton, especially in God's eyes. And in my eyes, I love you. You know, But the thing is, is that in the body of Christ, the scripture says that we are to be one. So if we're one, that means we're all valuable. That means we're all worth and we're worth being together as one. And the individualism is not going to cut it when it comes to what Paul was talking about. If you get into the idea and this fundamental idea in the Western philosophy that, that, that grew of this, I am a rock, it, it doesn't work. We need the opposite, the extreme opposite of individualism. And there's many who saw this and the extreme opposite in a political sense is communism. And we saw how that turns out. So we don't want, you know, the extreme opposite of individualism. What we want is commonality, Commonality. Commonality is this, being common to more than one individual. Possession of common features or attributes. And what is common between us? Christ. Christ. It is the love of Christ. And if your body, and and you break this down, let me break this down too, because when he says that we are one body, and in another verse it talks about the arm can't do without the hand. The hand's got to have the arm, the arm's got to, and the foot's got to have the leg. And, you know, all these diverse parts that go together and make up one body, we all need each other. For you to function as a human being, you need all your parts that you have right now. You, you need all that. They have a purpose. Your feet have a purpose. My hands have a purpose. Your head has a big purpose. (laughs) Maybe some parts are more important than others, but they all have a purpose and you need it. It's not like you can say, well, you know what? I, I I I don't need my head today. Let me take this off real quick. Set this right here. Let me go over here. You gotta have it. You can't do that. You don't say, you know what? Today, I'm just kind of thinking, I'm gonna look out for my head. I'm just looking out for my head. That's it. I, you know what? I, I don't even need this arm and this arm and these legs. I'm just going to take all this off. You can't do that. 
This is why Paul was used the human body as the example. See, when we all come together, this diverse, as diverse individuals making up the one, we're all needed. We're all important. We're all special. God made us that way. We need each other. And you say, well, I don't know. You know, you may be saying, well, I've, I've been out some before and, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't really need, you know, everybody else. They didn't need me. No, 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 no. There's something missing in your life. If you are, if you have that idea, I am a rock, you have that individual idea promoting, in, you know, that in, having that independent spirit, there is something missing in your life and you will not be fulfilled until you come in agreement into one, put away the divisions and come together as one with the body. You will be fulfilled at that point. You cannot be totally fulfilled as a Christian separate from the body. There was someone I saw not long ago in the store and she had this idea that she can get her church on TV and she does not need the church. And I know that 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 doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because because the guy out of the TV can't literally come and talk to you. He's on the TV. He's in another state. He's somewhere else. And it's not that, and it's not that TV preaching's bad. Don't get me wrong. But that's not church for the individual. That's a good extra compliment to church. It's a good compliment to church. And see, you know, I saw her at the store and she said, hi. You know, but I could just see on her face just, just kind of blah from what she used to be when she was connected. That glow that was on her face before wasn't there. Because we need each other. We need each other. She needed us. We need her, but she's not here. I did a message series called We Need Each Other. I don't know if, is it still online? I think so. You could go and look at it. It's a long series. <laughs> but it's important. We need, to, we need to breed unity in the body. So what is it that breeds unity? The short answer, love. That's the short answer. But let's look at it. Let's look at it. Colossians 3.14, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Notice this word perfect. I think that's just, ooh, that's so good. In your home, if you don't have unity in your family, love is the answer. What, what falls under love? Forgiveness, peace, Gentleness, kindness, courteous attitudes. We need to teach that to our children. We need to teach them how to be courteous, kind, gentle, respectful. These are the things that the scripture talks about. Because love is the perfect bond of unity that will keep them unified in your family when you teach these principles to your children. The more we love, the more we will want to be around 
one another in the body and do what they are doing. If you're not loving, you won't want to be around and you won't want to do. If you feel like you have a unity problem, don't seek unity, seek love. Because love breeds unity. If you seek unity just for unity's sake, you'll miss it. You've got to seek what breeds unity. Because remember, unity is neutral. You've got to add the goodness to it. And God is saying here that we need to value unity and he wants you to bring the goodness to it. The goodness in your family, the goodness in this church family, the goodness wherever you go where you know that you need to be in unity. We need to value unity, but we need to emphasize what breeds it. The other thing, short answer was love, but, and this is part of it, our conduct is vital to unity. Our conduct, how do we know this? The verses we read in the beginning, Philippians 1, 27, only conduct yourselves, only Look at it. This is so key. This is an exhortation. This is a command statement that the Lord is saying to the church. He says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then in Ephesians 4, let's break this down. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now in verse 2, he describes what this conduct is. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Look at this verse 2. This is really key. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Humility, pride crushes unity because it's the opposite of love. It, it, it goes against, it's opposite of humble and humility. It fights against love. It's that independent thing saying, ah, I can do it all by myself. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. I remember telling somebody who was having a really struggle in their marriage and, and they were fighting and they just all these things going wrong. And I said, listen, I was talking to, to the man. I said, listen, you need to get some counseling. You need to come and get some of this straight. You need to come and sit down. And you know what he said? No, I know what to do. I know what to do. I just have to do it. These are the words And the thing is, is he's got to listen to somebody else because he's not seeing everything. The thing is, is that we do not see everything with our and about ourselves. We can't see everything that we're doing. I know this because my wife tells me stuff I'm doing. I supposed to all the time, and I can't see it, but she can. We're in the home, in the family. She can see it. I can see things in her that she can't see. And I can minister to her. And I do it in love. I try to. Sometimes I don't say it right. And I stick my foot in my mouth. Right? Messes everything up. This is why he said, this is, this is, this is really good. Verse 2 again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance 
for one another. You know how sometimes you, you, you see some people and they're just really hard to tolerate? I remember once one of the boys was aggravating my daughter Sarah. And she was tolerating it for a bit. And I could hear it going on a little bit. And I was going to go in there and correct my younger son. And I was sitting at my desk and I was standing. I was like, okay, you know, well, let me just see what happened. It was like 30 seconds later, the wrath of Sarah. I'm talking about her and she's not even here. She's back there teaching the kids. But I mean, she got up and she raised her voice and I could hear her. If you don't stop, I mean, and she told them what she was going to do if you don't stop it. And all I could hear from the book, okay, okay, okay. And I heard the little steps going away. I said, yeah, I guess I don't need to go downstairs. But of course, I talked to them both later, you know, and said, well, that's probably not the best exchange, but she could tolerate it no longer. I ain't tolerating this aggravating anymore. This boy is going to stop doing this or else, and you don't want to know what the else is. And that was what she was saying. You know, and sometimes we, you know, in our families or in church, some people just great. How many know what I'm talking about? Please tell me I'm not on my own on this. <laughs> they just great. But what did Paul, what was he saying? You got to tolerate. You've got to tolerate with all tolerance in love. That, what's, that's, that breeds unity right there. That breeds unity. Being diligent, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Diligent. This is something we're to be diligent about. What are we being diligent about? Loving and tolerating others, conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy. Our conduct matters, church. Now, maybe, you know, uh, you do something that's contrary to this scripture. Yeah, maybe it's not going to send you to hell or whatever, but it's, it's slowing down the advancement of God's kingdom because we're not in unity one with another. When we're in unity, there is agreement. Agreement is the place of power. And the kingdom of God can be advanced. Let me say this to end with. One of the things that unity says is how we handle our proximity communicates a message. How we handle our proximity communicates a message. In other words, if you find yourself not wanting to be around others in the body of Christ or not wanting to be around your family at home, that's the indicator that you have a unity problem. If you're by yourself or you've separated yourself, your proximity communicates to you a message. It's also communicating to others a message. And we need to get that message. We need to take it and we need to solve that unity problem. And again, we don't seek unity. We cast down pride and we seek love because the main ingredient that breeds unity is love. Amen, church? Let's all stand. So we need to value unity. When you leave from here today, say, well, how do I do that? Pay attention to your proximity. 
Your proximity, not just physically, mentally. What is your proximity? What are you thinking? How are you thinking? Are you thinking, I don't need so-and-so, I don't need them, I don't want them? Or are you thinking, I need my brothers and sisters in the Lord? I need them. I need my family members. Some of us here today would say, I, you know, I need to apply love more to my situation in my family. I need to apply more love to the situations here even at church or in the body. Other Christians that I know that, that don't go to the church, that go to others. I need to be unified in the body. We need to value unity. How many could say here this morning, I could use an increase of love tolerating others in love? How many could say that? Me too. I think we all could go to a, another level in that. Another level in love towards one another. Isn't it amazing, church, because we talk so much about love, but isn't it amazing how so many things are connected to it? I, I, it's just amazing. So many of the world's ills, so to speak, and so many of the issues and the problems that we face can be solved with love. It's amazing. I'm not trying to sound like a, I don't know, 60s flower child or something, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just, it's the truth. It's the truth. God is so awesome. And in our families, we can, we can have unity. In our church body, we can have unity. We need each other. Amen. Amen. And when some of those, you know, may irritate us or get on our nerves or whatever, we need to tolerate in love. We have a choice. You have a choice to either act or react to others. You either act on God's word and you forgive or you, or you react, get into unforgiveness, which will lead to bitterness, anger, self-pity, depression, lead to those. Or we can act on the word, which leads to forgiveness, love, peace, joy. If you don't have the joy of the Lord, pay attention to your proximity. See how you think, how you act. Am I really walking in love? Let's pray this morning, Father, right now. Lord, we just open ourselves up to you. We open up ourselves to you to receive from you, Lord, your love. Lord, where there's those that are here this morning that are hurt on the inside, I thank you for healing that hurt right now and replacing that hurt with your love right now. In Jesus' name, every hurt. If that's you right now, I just want you to say to the Lord, heal this hurt on the inside. Just say it to the Lord. Fill me with your love. Hallelujah. Father, right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we seek after love. Lord, we say that we will value unity. As your word says, as Paul said, to conduct ourselves worthy. Lord, that we would conduct ourselves in a way that would show kindness to others. That we would be humble. That we would have humility wherever we are with our boss or wherever we're at. At home in our families, Lord, I just thank you in our church family, Lord, that we would increase in unity because we've increased in love and we've seen and we're paying attention to our proximity. Father, we give you glory, we give you praise, we give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen.